Welcome to the Shannon Milliman Show podcast, where together we believe there is beauty in the mundane, joy in imperfect action, creative words lift us in light and dark. You are the poet of this little corner of earth. It is your job, whether you have experience or not, to bard, to evoke, and to uplift. Remember the old adage, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. Of course, you could go either way. Words cannot physically wound, but of course, emotionally, they can scar. I roll around the concept of words quite a bit. Words are the way that I find I can express myself, whether it's spoken, whether it's written. And all of us have that privilege. In the country of the United States of America, we have the gift of freedom of speech. And that is a special gift that not everyone in the world is afforded. And I do consider myself blessed to have that in my life. And I think words matter, but at the same time, how much do they matter? I don't know. It depends on context. I'm thinking just generally a whole lot about words. And what's kind of spurned the, the thought process in my mind was a couple nights ago, my family sat down and watched da, 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 Hamilton. We attempted to go live when it came to Portland and couldn't get tickets. They sold out really quick. And then we tried the lottery every day that we were able. Still no luck. My oldest daughter has... Hamilton memorized word for word and has had it memorized obsessively for years and she knows it she has studied it and very much she reminds me of myself and my obsession over Les Miserables when I was a teenager and the modern version is Hamilton before we watched it Sunny my daughter asked if I thought that I would like Hamilton or Les Miserables better and I thought, hmm, you know, I bet I bet I will stick with Les Miserables because I just have so much loyalty to it. And the, the complexity of that story, the beautiful scope of human nature. I mean, it's the highs and the lows and our best parts, our worst part and redemption and forgiveness. And I kind of doubted that all of that could be in a modern musical. I'm generally not the biggest fan of the modern musical. I went and saw the Book of Mormon when it came to Portland. And I, as I figured that it would be fun. I figured that it would have some, some good Pope fun. I am Mormon. So there's this double entendre uh, energy to see it. And I knew that there would be a little bit of stuff that was like, oh boy. But I love to laugh at myself, my culture, my things that I hold dear and just know, you know, balance in all things. And words can never hurt me. <laughs> so I went and hoped to enjoy it and went with some friends and my husband. And it was an enjoyable night out, but oh my goodness, I found it to be a gross disappointment. I didn't think it was creative. I didn't think it was original and it wasn't it was offensive and it wasn't but that wasn't what was offensive to me per se. It was the lack of creativity and the lack of insight and like, it could have been really funny. It could have been really clever. But it fell flat for me. So, 
that's, you know, the last live modern musical that I watched, and I hope this would be better. It's gotten a lot of excitement and energy about it, so I still remained hopeful, but was excited to sit down together, and uh, Sunny started singing along right away, and I told her, boy, this could get her uh, old a little bit quick. (laughs) So she ended up pausing with her singing along. Poor girl. Dampened her spirits. Uh, But I found it to be such a beautiful show. A beautiful, interesting, um, different perspective. I loved the hip-hop and the rap. It was so new for me. And it gave me, oh man, and just the contrast of having people of color in the roles that have this subtext of that they were white and not that that is all of why they were who they are, but it did have something to do with their privilege. And at that time, it had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, Thomas Jefferson had slaves and some of the others did as well. And, oh man. So that just in the back of my mind, tethering it was a really fascinating juxtaposition. And they introduced character Eliza. I initially thought she was going to be sort of flat and Angelica as well. Because, you know, the times, how interesting can you color a woman of that era? But I found that Lin-Manuel Miranda was very intentional and provocative and tried very hard to give them stories based on historical accuracies and assumptions that he delivered and weaved into the text and into the song. And it was just so beautiful. And I found both those women to be pretty strong and had just complication to their plights. And it was really fascinating. And I found myself identifying with both of them in different ways. And I was really moved by that. And it was just really beautiful and fun and and lovely, and well done, and creative, and insightful, and I just really recommend you sit down and watch it if you have access to to it, and if you don't, find a way to go to some friend's house and watch it. It's quite a delight. There were some themes that were around words in the play, which is why I have been thinking quite a bit about the urgency of words. You know, there is... If you go to a party or some situation where you don't know the people or maybe just casually, it's inevitable that when you're meeting and greeting folks, you're going to be asked one question. And this is a question that I abhor, roll my eyes, tire, bore of, because I think it's the most uncreative question we have, but it's our default. We... We all need to be more creative with the questions we ask of one another. Why? Well, one reason that if we are more creative with questions, we can get more creative with insights and understanding each other. Two, it pushes our mind and it pushes the minds of the person that we're connecting with to think beyond the weather, to think beyond the mundane. And three, because it shows respects and honor and if you have the patience and the courtesy and the care to ask interesting questions that will be returned and it's just doing the right thing for making the world go round a little bit better. So that question is that makes my stomach churn when you're meeting a new person is what do you do? 
What do you do? As if the thing you do is the defining thing that makes you you. No matter your age, your life experience, your wisdom, your where you've been, where you haven't been, where you've had barriers, where you've overcome mountains, where you've smelled beautiful floral arrangements, no matter the shoes that you've worn, how you wear them out. By the way, I wear my shoe out, especially to the right. My right foot heel on the inner right gets very worn out first and I have to replace them. But you didn't ask me that at the party. You asked me, what do I do? And you, I could answer a million ways, but the intention behind that question is to find out what my job is. What's your career? What do you do for eight hours of your day? For myself, I work four tens and I love it. It's wonderful. So for 10 hours of the day, what do I do? What defines my identity? Oh my. I do wonderful, impactful, interesting things during those hours sometimes. And sometimes I can't wait for those hours to pass because I want to get to the things that my heart endeavors to do, or I want to connect back with the people that I care about most in my life, my family, or for that matter, friends and relations that I haven't met yet. What do you do? And when I answer that, when I tell you what I do, that's kind of the end. Maybe there'll be a few follow-up questions about, you know, what services are provided in that job. But oh my goodness, please friends, Let's get more creative and ask other questions. How about, what is your passion? What are you working on that gives you joy right now? What are you working on that's presenting challenges in your life? Who have you connected with lately? And what conversations have you discussed? What worries you? What excites you? What else could you ask anything else? I know we can do better, especially knowing that so many of us don't find the greatest satisfaction in our day jobs. So if you do, celebrate. If you don't, put your shoulder to the wheel. You are doing honorable, good things. The things you must do to get up and take care of your own and take care of yourself. And there's dignity and beauty in that devotion and in that daily work, that daily toil. But it does not mean that is who you are. It is a part of you, but you are so much more than that. In in Hamilton, there were several lines that continued to make me think about words. And I'm going to share a few of those quotes and you can just let your mind wander to kind of the beauty of those lines and, and the the layered meaning that you could personally probe from that. And they're all kind of around words or, or, or writing. Okay. So this was a song. Most of these were a song and, uh, uh, Eliza, her, the wife was speaking to Alexander, the husband, and she said, how do you write like you're running out of time? And that was a reoccurring song theme. He was writing like he was running out of time. He was a prolific writer. He wrote and wrote, had so much urgency. His pen could not write 
all the things in his mind and he felt intense urgency to get whatever he had, his ideas and his beliefs that he believed would make a difference in the world during the duration he was on this world, which isn't the time we are on this earth so slight, so precious. But I just, I was struck by that. And Eliza said, I picked up a pen. I wrote my own deliverance. Whoa. That's what it takes. It takes an action. I pick up a pen. I, Shannon Milliman, pick up a pen or, you know, pick up my fingertips for my keyboard. Also (laughs) acceptable. I write my own deliverance. I cannot rely on anybody else to write that deliverance. I can rely on support and love and care from the people around me. But ultimately, I'm the one that takes myself one step forward each day. And you are the one who takes yourself forward or backwards or sideways. And we write our own deliverance. And another one, I'll write my way out. Overwhelm them with honesty the eye of the hurricane. This is the only way I can protect my legacy. When Hamilton began talking about legacy, I felt shivers. There is something within me that just feels really urgent about legacy, about creating legacy, about preserving it, about capturing it. That's one of the products I'm working on, of course, to help folks create legacy stories for loved ones. And it's what I'm deeply involved in doing right now. I'm writing my grandparents' life story. And oh, there's just so little that matters more than the stories, the actions, the experiences of people, people that are close to you or people that you know have lived. And every life has abundant aspects to share. And oh, just shivers. Just, I, I just, feel that that being expressed is beautiful. There are moments that the words don't reach. There are moments that the words don't reach that resonated deeply with me. There are, and yet we still try. We still try to allow those words to reach. I was thinking about what my work is at this point when I was rejecting that question of what, what is it that you do? And I had some thoughts about my work and I wanted to share those thoughts with you and hopefully it twists into a direction that isn't as conventional of what I do for my 10-4 day job. But here you go, my work is to have my phone audio app ready to capture the jinging bellow of my father's voice. His philosophy and scripture mingled into magic and more than the sum of the words. It is to think harder about why chickens are just like people. That's what my dad said when I was bothered by how they pick on one another. They pick so hard that they would kill one. My work is distracted by what the world calls work. The worldly work is what keeps me able to continue. Able to buy Aquafresh toothpaste and an electric toothbrush from Costco. And to have a Costco membership. My actual work is more something I talk about and dream about than actually work at. Except the tides have changed. The horizons have lifted. The COVID virus that has settled on the people to my right and to my left has forced me to stay at home. 
I do my work well, their work, sort of. I do the bare minimum, and I experiment with something. I experiment doing my work, my work, for 20 minutes. I tell myself it is safe to set the bar low, then I won't be disappointed. And for 20 minutes, I get inspired by someone who unabashedly calls themselves a writer. And then I write, and it is fine, it is good. It tastes like mango and vanilla ice cream, and it smells like arugula gone to seed and carrots that I had given up on, but that just sprouted. I write, and I know it is my calling. I did not ask to be a writer. I was called to be a writer. It is my work to listen to my grandfather. The way he interjects those specific to grandpa phrases like, isn't that funny? And he cuts off the G's when he's going and coming. And he looks away in tears because he loves children, purely. He can't believe someone as worthless as he has germinated so many so abundant as we. But he did. Of course he did. I see it. I taste it in the banana creamsicle he bought me when I was 14 at the Flying J. I had never had one before, and they tasted like the first degree of glory. He listened to conference talks, President Benson and President Kimball, and he loved them, and he talked quietly when he talked about them. It is my work to notice when Grandpa gently encourages Grandma to take a walk and to watch how he supports her arms with every fiber of his aging being and walk his ten steps on the cracked pavement by the Christmas cactus that Grandpa told me my father transplanted from high up in the mountains. It blooms every spring to early summer, and look at its fuchsia blossoms now. I purse my lips together, loving when I get a hint of who my father is. It is my work to feel moisture and meaning in my eyes and in my veins, to hear the coo of the mockingbird and wonder what he is crying about. It is my work to call my father. I don't want to. He's hard of hearing, and if I don't have something to say about my garden, my livestock, my children, my goals, what I have read recently, I'm not sure he will continue talking to me. And then, when do I leave space for him? It's my job to call my siblings. I'm the oldest. It's my job to keep trying. It's my work to love them. Love is work. Work is love. Work is painstakingly combing through the moments of minutia and seeing the ladybug or seeing the dust settle and realizing it is skin cells from your children mixed with the neighbors. Love is the exchange of efforts. You give a little. I give a little. We receive a little and we understand a little. My work is accepting the routine, but finding light, dark, and fog in the day-to-day. I used to despise my work because I was not as good as the real writers, but right now I look forward to my 20 minutes where I share, shine, skip like a rock, on the shoreline of the mouth of the Kasilov River where it meets the ocean and read it back aloud. I have something to say.
My work is meant to be shared. It is my work to listen to how it is received, to discuss and to let feelings be as they are, to let hope be found under under the gnarly periods, the bothersome question marks, and the celebratory exclamation marks. My work as I read a few of my free write prompts to Eli, my husband, what he said with a chuckle and that coy smile that only he can give. You are a writer, Shannon, and his work is his. Surely I should understand about work and love. My work is undone, for mostly I don't always see it as love. Sometimes I see the give and take that it is as more of the take. But someday I think I will see it. I will see the work as love. I feel like I am standing on top of a soft mound of dirt, just a little raised from the people around me. I am capable and I can see more acutely. I need an equitable boost because I need the right PPE to do my work. The frontline workers need masks and gloves, and my frontline needs listening and observing and interpreting. The same skills I need when I swim, moving my body in the Kisilov River. People get lost in their work. At their dying bedside, they wish they worked less. Never do they wish they loved less. Both are four-letter words. How can I make the work more like the love? By doing it every day, by realizing there is more to see than what I saw yesterday. Join me in wrestling with your work. Determining what it is that your work is can help you be a better leader in your home, in your life, in your day-to-day endeavors. And it can help you find clarity and meaning when it doesn't always feel there. Recently, I was speaking with a friend about a concept that I brought up in an earlier episode And that was having your friends and people around you identify words that define you. And I shared with you words that other people use to define me. And my friend used that and kind of spun it for the purposes she needed and is using that as a prompt to have a conversation with a difficult person in her life at this phase. And she's going to ask the person in her life, how they define themselves. So that way it kind of gives an invitation and and look at that, look at the power of a question and a thoughtful question. It can open up windows. It can reveal light in the corners and the, the unexpected can happen and perhaps it won't, but there's room that possibly something new can happen. But that kind of question can leave room for the person she's engaging with to struggle and consider who they find their identity to be. And that can help shed light to my friend in comparing how she perceives this person and who knows what kind of roller coaster that can take in exploration. So think about the questions you ask, ask caring questions, allow people to be more than what they do nine to five.